All right, uh, we're going to begin a new series in God's Word, and I've titled the series, Not Home Yet, and that's the reason that uh, Jeff incorporated that song into our worship this morning. We were singing songs that remind us that we're on a journey, but we're not home yet. As we look at the nation in which we live, and the world in which we live, sometimes we get frustrated, we get discouraged, we think in our home this is not how things ought to be in our home state or our home nation or in the world in which we live. We get frustrated and we ask God, why are things the way they are? And we need to hear God remind us continually, first of all, that we're not home yet. This is not our home. This world is not our home. And secondly, we need to be reminded that we are on a journey that has a purpose. And so even though our uh, study of the Scriptures over the next Several weeks will be from the Old Testament at the, I guess, at the end of uh, Exodus as we get after the the days of the Exodus all the way up to uh, the book of Deuteronomy. I'm going to pull several key passages that deal with our journey home out of Egypt now, not yet to the promised land. What does it mean that we're not home yet? What does it mean that we're on a journey with Him? And so we'll look at some famous passages of Scripture from Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. However, this morning we're going to be in the Old Testament via the New Testament. We're going to look through the lens of the New Testament to introduce this whole concept of not home yet. So if you will turn with me to the book of Hebrews in your New Testament, chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Thank you for standing as we open the book together. Beginning with verse 12. In Hebrews chapter 3, really beginning from verse 7 all the way through the first half of chapter 4, or most of chapter 4, we're reading about the the summary of what that journey was like for the children of Israel. And it's not exactly flattering to the people of God to read that. But then I want us to focus in, and we're going to pull the principles from a few key verses here. 13, 14, and 15. I mean, sorry, 12, 13, 14, and 15. He says, Watch out or take heed, brothers, so that there won't be any of in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. But encourage or exhort each other daily. Help each other is what he's saying there, while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become companions of the Messiah if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had from the start. It is written, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Father, I pray that we would have tender hearts, that we would have ears to hear what You want to say to us through Your Word today. And I pray that as we journey through these Scriptures over the next couple of months, that we will see that we've been called to even a greater journey, to take Jesus by the hand, to accomplish our calling this side of heaven, but to never let our eyes be removed from the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, because we're not home, remind us why we're here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. How many of you ever been on a long trip, a long vacation, and it got to a place where you were like, I'm just ready to be home? Any of you just ready to be home? You know, the men are always quick to raise their hand. And no matter how wonderful the vacation has been, dad's usually ready 
to get back home. Unless you're kind of, you know, that, that, that Chevy Chase guy in your family that's ready for the long vacation. And, and Most of us are usually ready to get home. You're kind of tired of having to eat out, tired of spending the money to eat out, tired of all the being cramped and, and crowded in a vehicle together. Some of you have a, a little bit more vehicle than you probably need because you know there are going to be those trips that you've got to separate certain kids and the family and that sort of thing. And they're fussing and they're fighting and he's on my side. No, she's on my side. Now that doesn't happen in anybody else's vehicle, right? Um, they're bothering me. They've been playing games and they've run out of games. They've counted the cows and they've played uh, guess that smell and all kinds of things. Um, Ken's going, thanks, Dad. <laughs> you know, sometimes we can be kind of like those pilgrims that boarded the Mayflower. They were coming to a, a new land. About a third of those on the Mayflower for religious purposes, uh, those Puritans who wanted to start afresh in a new in a new world. We're on a journey. This is not our destination. Thank God, this is not our destination. But there is a purpose in the journey. It's not just, can't wait till we get to where we're going, but what are we trying to accomplish on the way? When the Jews left Egypt, when they escaped Pharaoh, they learned something really quick. They learned it was still a long way home. Now, if we could see things from an eternal perspective, and we could see things the way God sees things, and, and we could understand His timetable, we would realize what James says, that this life is but a vapor. It appears for a moment and then vanishes. This life isn't long. Our road home isn't really that long. But this side of heaven, sometimes the road seems long and winding, and certainly Jesus said it was a narrow road. So we might could say with, with eyes from this world, that with our temporal eyes, we would say, yeah, it's a long way home. We've got a long ride. And we don't need to spend that whole ride going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? We're not home yet. We're not home yet, and we've got some things to accomplish along the way. So we'll look at key passages as we study these Hebrews. You know, most of them did not journey well. Most of the Israelites didn't journey well. They were hard to be in the car with on the way home. They just didn't journey well. It was a tough ride a lot of times. We'll look at some of the key passages from their journey in, in Exodus as they left Egypt, Leviticus, when they incorporated some of the laws and, and, and feasts and, and, and the sacrifices. We'll look at numbers when there was a lot of grumbling and complaining. You don't hear that when you travel, do you? Grumbling and complaining. We'll deal with that. Moses, as a leader, had to learn to handle grumbling and complaining, even that of himself. Uh, we'll look at Deuteronomy and the importance of the family for this whole thing to work out. Deuteronomy chapter 6 will be our final session. All of these things, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, as it reflects on that, all of these things were just shadows, foreshadows, if you will, of that which was to come, which was a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is the real substance of our faith. That's why in Hebrews chapter 11 it says faith is the substance of things hoped for. Everything that they had hoped for under the Old Covenant was fulfilled in the person and through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why I want us to look through that lens as we look back. See, the, the Jews had a hard time understanding, and that's, that's why the book of Hebrews was written. They had a 
hard time understanding this new identity that, that Christ was superior to everything else. And sometimes that, that's a problem with us. We've, we've had a change in identity. I was uh, joking with uh, Mr. Bridges this morning, told him I was going to tell his joke, but we were sitting at the game the other night, and he broke some news to me. I had, had no idea, but he looked over and he said, do you realize the Washington Redskins just voted to change their name? And I'm sitting there thinking, man, political correctness and all this in the world. He said, Washington Redskins, they're changing their name. They don't want it to... Um, uh, they don't want to be offended. They don't want to be offensive. They don't want to offend anybody else. So the Washington Redskins are going to drop Washington from their name. I thought, that's a good change in identity, right? Sometimes, sometimes we need to realize that we've had a change of identity. And that as Christ followers, we need to see that Christ Himself, who we're following in this journey, is superior to anything else. They had to understand that He was superior to the law. And so the Hebrews talks about that. Jesus was superior to the law. He was superior to the Old Testament priesthood, to the feast, to the sacrifices, to the tabernacle. But all of those things, as we look at them in the weeks to come, were foreshadows of something that was better to come. See, they weren't home yet. And there is an extent to which we are more at home today than they were then, but yet we're not home yet. We're not in heaven yet. Uh, we can get a little bit more heaven on earth through Christ, but faith is the substance of things hoped for, things that were to come. To them, all the peripheral things looked like the substance, and they had a hard time letting go. So Paul, I believe, Paul, Hebrews is one of those books, when you look up the author, it says anonymous. I believe there's great evidence that either Paul wrote it with Luke's help or Luke wrote it with Paul's help. Either way, it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so, whether it was Paul with Luke's help or Luke with Paul's sermons, which I think there's a great argument for, it provides some guidelines for us to learn how to journey. As we're on our way to the promised land and we're not home yet, what are some things we need to keep in mind? And as we take this, I want to let this be a lens, a New Testament lens through which we observe and interpret the Old Testament in the next week as we kind of get started with the Ten Commandments and other things that were important for them to have along the way for this journey. The first thing we need to keep in mind is that they had to heed the voice of God, and they had to do this in order to avoid distractions. There were going to be distractions along the way, and so their problem was sometimes heeding the voice of God. And so in verse 12, it says, watch out, in the King James, it says, take heed. Take this seriously, brothers, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. You need to believe the voice of God. You need to heed the voice of God so that you're not distracted, so, so that and that unbelieving heart will not depart from the living God. Things will try to distract you and pull you away from your walk with Jesus Christ. So he says, watch out and take heed. God was telling them something. Look back at, at the context here, beginning with verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and the Holy Spirit is still speaking to us through the Word of God, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. You begin to harden your heart when God is speaking to you, and all of a sudden you'll get to where you're not hearing the voice of God. It says, on the day of testing, when they were in the desert, during their wilderness wanderings, where your fathers tested me, they tried me, they saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with this generation and said, 
They always go astray. They're being distracted in their hearts is what was happening. They have not known my way, so I swore in my anger. They will not enter my rest. They were going to miss out on something. God is telling us something when we're on this journey. He's speaking to us through His Word. That's why the journey, I believe, started with the Ten Commandments and, and, and they got the moral law. It was not God telling them, now on this journey, I don't want you to have any fun. And so I'm going to put parameters in place to rob your good time. That's what sometimes the young people, sometimes that's what we think. We're kind of like, God gives us rules and standards and laws because He doesn't want us to have any fun. But no, God was protecting them and providing for them along the way. And so we'll see that next week as we get into His laws, that it was God's way of providing the best for us. If I were to, I was picking on Kent already, so I hate to do it again this morning, but if, if you were to ask Kent, uh, hey, what's one of the biggest times you've ever gotten in trouble? He would say, well, when I was a little boy and I chased, and, and I had actually come home and I had left, and he chased me kind of out the driveway, and uh, mom called up with him, left his little sister in a dangerous place, but she had to catch him from a more dangerous place, and so she caught up with him just before he got into Highway 98, which is Highway 98, you know, is nothing but logging trucks and chicken trucks all day long. And so I got a call when I got back to the office here, and I had to go back home to take care of some business because my son was headed out into Highway 98 and needed to learn a lesson. You say, oh, are you trying to kill his good time? Why can't a kid play on Highway 98? If he wants to run down Highway 98, why ruin his... Well, we have some rules, and there are consequences for breaking those rules. Not because we want to kill his good time, but because we want to keep him from being killed by things that are dangerous. And in the same way, God puts laws, and He says, I want you to heed my voice. I want you to hear what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to kill your good time. I'm actually trying to give you a good time. I'm trying to show you that there's something better than this world has to offer and, and what this world has to offer will rob you. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and I'm trying to protect you. And so we need to heed the voice of God. And God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, and then He uses our prayer life, circumstances, open and closed doors, the church, the body of Christ. We'll talk about that a little bit this morning. God puts things into our life and gives us biblical principles to guide us. So when you get to chapter 4 and verse 12, we're told that the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as to divide the soul and the spirit and the marrow. It is the judge uh, or, or the discerning work of the ideas and thoughts of the heart. God is telling us to listen. If we don't listen to the voice of God, if we don't learn to get into the Word of God and be sensitive to the Spirit of God and listen to the voice of God, we're going to miss something back in chapter 4 and verse 4. He says, For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way, and on the seventh day God rested from all of his works. God wants us to get in on that rest, on what he has for us. So we need to learn to listen, not miss out on what God has planned for us. The whole idea of Sabbath rest was... It was a shadow of the spiritual rest, which would happen first through a relationship by faith in Christ, and then ultimately our goal of reaching that eternal rest in heaven. We need to learn to rest in His grace and look forward to the rest that He has to offer. So He tells us, take heed, there will be distractions. There will be distractions that will try to pull you away 
from what God has planned for you that will rob you of joy in the journey. You're like, Pastor, I need strength. You, man, where I have to journey, the, the, the school I go to or the, the, the work that I'm involved in, the, the, the family situation that I'm going through right now, I just need strength. Would anybody just be honest and say, I feel like I need more strength now than ever before. Raise your hand. All right, let, let's go back to Nehemiah for a moment. When, when they had resettled the city of Jerusalem and they had confessed their sins and they had been repentant and broken and, and now it was time to get busy serving the Lord there in this, this rebuilt city. They were told to get up, dust themselves off, wipe away their tears and get after it because the what was their strength? The joy of the Lord was their strength. And so what the enemy will do, knowing that you need strength from God, he will come in and he will distract you. He will try to rob your joy. So we need to listen to God that we find joy in His Word and in His statutes. We need to do what Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 will tell the Hebrews that, that had become Jews to do, and that is to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. That sin which distracts us from God's purposes. It's interesting, he says, the weight and the sin, not the weight that is a sin. So why is that important? Because everything that you face that's a distraction isn't necessarily a sin. There are things that we try to hold on to, things that we try to embrace in life. We try to get involved in so many things nowadays that you say, well, this isn't really wrong, and that's not really wrong. And a lot of times, that's true. It's just that it becomes a distraction from us seeking first the kingdom of God. And so we need to ask ourselves, is this, is this a weight that slows me down from serving the Lord? Or is this a distraction from the kingdom of God? Is it something that robs me from hearing the voice of God? What keeps you from having a daily quiet time? What keeps you from spending time alone in God's Word? What keeps you from corporate worship with the body of Christ so that you're hearing the teaching and preaching of the Word of God? What distracts you from putting your radio station on somebody who's doing solid biblical teaching or on music that is reinforcing biblical principles in your life. What is that distraction? See, sometimes we have to turn down the distractions. I, I was we were talking with folks this morning about hearing aids, and my mom was kind of joking about the fact that she's wearing a hearing aid as far back as I can remember. In fact, Toby and I used to have fun sitting around the table in the evenings, and we would just kind of talk by moving our lips without actually saying anything. And, and so mom's over there trying to turn her hearing aid up and it's already turned up. It was an advantage to that because when, when the kids got loud and rowdy, she could always just turn us off. And, and so sometimes we need to learn how to turn down the distractions in life. Uh, it's not just that we have to turn down our ability to hear. Sometimes it's the other things. You ever had like three or four people in the house watching TV, listening to the radio or something like that, and they're in competition with one another. And so one turns his up, the other one's got to turn hers up, and dad's got to turn the TV up, and everybody's just in competition. That's what's happening in the world today. Some of it is clearly sin in our lives. At other times, it's just things, it's stuff that we let pile up and distract us from the main thing, which is hearing and heeding the voice of God in our life. You say, but pastor, you don't understand. This generation, they don't, they don't have an attention span. 
why you've already been preaching longer than they can handle this morning. People just do not have an attention. They can't be still and know that he has got to listen to God anymore. They don't have that kind of attention span. I mean, have you ever tried to... 42 TNT boys this Wednesday night. You know how short their attention span is? Well, listen, I know this about those boys. They're getting to the age where they're going to like to deer hunt. Some of them. This is Madison County. Most of them are going to like to deer hunt. And they're going to be able at age 11 or 12 or 13 to walk into the woods, get in a deer stand, and hold a high-powered rifle and sit there perfectly still for two or three hours or even longer. Sit there perfectly still. And, and if a squirrel crunches a leaf somewhere. They hear that. How do they sit so still? How do they become so attentive? It's because what they're listening for is important to them. See, it's not that our attention span isn't what it used to be. Well, perhaps it is. But, but I think the biggest problem is those things that should be important to us aren't nearly as important to us anymore. So we don't be still and stay focused to hear the voice of God and say, I want to hear God. Listen, I want my kids to succeed academically. I want them to do well when they get involved in sports athletically. I want that if they are involved in the arts, I want them to do, those are the three A's, right? Athletics, academics, and the arts, and usually in that order in Madison County. And we want them to succeed, but listen, if they succeed in all that, but they fail at learning to hear the voice of God, then I'll feel like I failed as a parent. I want that to be number one in their life. I want to teach them to heed the Word of God, and the voice of God so they're not distracted and missing out on what God has for them. The Jews had a hard time learning that in their journey. Secondly, we need to help the family of God. This is to avoid deceptions. Because the enemy is tricky. So he says, help one another. In the Holman Christian Standard that I'm reading from, it's also a word-for-word translation like the King James but he uses the word encourage here in verse 13. Some translations say exhort, and some say help. <laughs> we need to encourage each other. We need to help each other. And he says daily. While it is still called today, don't put it off. We need to be helping one another in the body of Christ. We need to be helping the family of God. We need to be working together as the family of God. What were the Jews doing during the journey? They were fussing with each other. They were criticizing each other. They were grumbling and complaining. And he said, no, no, no. Help each other. Come alongside. It's the same word for help that's used when the Holy Spirit is called the encourager or the helper. We're to come alongside of people. Now, we're not to be the Holy Spirit in their life, but we're to be a brother or sister in Christ, being an encourager to them so that you're not hardened, it says, by sin's deceptions. You know, we need people in our life that can point out blind spots, who can say, hey, you might not have noticed this, but in order for you to grow in your walk with God, you need to deal with this. And that means we have to take the log out of our own eye to help with those specks in the eyes of others, right? But we need to be that kind of help, that kind of encouragement, that kind of accountability partner in people's lives. We need encouragement. Everybody needs encouragement. If we go around grumbling and complaining and beating up on everybody and talking about how bad everybody's doing, then they're going to feel so unrewarded and so deflated. But if we begin to encourage people, we'll be like uh, the story. It was Marion Gilbert, a lady who told this story. She said a strange little dog showed up at her door. She usually walked outside, walked to the end of her driveway, got her newspaper and walked back, and she opened her door, and there was a strange little dog that had brought her paper to the door. And so she went and she, she got a treat and she 
threw a little treat to the dog, she, something she found in a refrigerator, and she petted the dog and said, thank you. She took her paper in, bid the dog goodbye. The next morning, she opened her door, and the same dog had eight of her neighbor's newspapers right there at her door. A little encouragement goes a long way. We need encouragement in the body of Christ. He says, encourage one another. And this, this is, you point them to the right things and they'll begin to avoid the simple deceptions. That's why the church must gather corporately. Not only to learn and hear the Word of God that we also need to be studying for ourselves, but so that we're building community, that we're building a body of people who fellowship with one another, encourage one another, because we need one another. That's why in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, he'll come back to this subject and he'll say, so don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. As some are in the habit of doing, he says, you've got to keep coming together. You've got to keep encouraging one another. Keep building one another up in the faith. And he said that after he admonished them to stay faithful to their confession in the faith, and he admonished them concerning sincere worship and our ability to come into God's presence through the blood of Jesus Christ, he said, so don't quit doing that. Don't quit coming together. We need one another. We need to be together in corporate worship. We have been emphasizing life groups later. We need life groups. We need small groups with brothers and sisters in Christ to be that encouragement to one another. Because there's not only distractions, there's deceptions. And, and, and we've got to have each other's back, and we've got to encourage one another. For the Israelites, the wages of sin was death. For us, the wages of sin is death. We usually think in terms of spiritual death. They understood that very literally. In chapter 3, look back at verse 17. He says, and with whom was he, speaking of God, provoked for 40 years. This journey was 40 years. It was a lot longer than it should have been. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? Many of them in that one generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, all fell and missed out on what God had for them. Because we need to come together and encourage one another not to miss out on what God has. What was their major deception? That first generation that came out, what was their major deception that they fell prey to? It was this. We had it better when we were back in Egypt. And so we're going to see that as we study these Old Testament passages. We're going to see them grumbling and complaining, especially to their leadership. It was better back in Egypt. Egypt. And what's the enemy going to come and tell you? What, what does the devil himself want you to think? Man, when I just didn't worry about spiritual things, when I wasn't focused on my relationship with Jesus Christ, when I wasn't trying to do things God's way, I had it better back then. That's going to be the lie the enemy brings to you. So that was their major deception that, hey, you're better off to leave spiritual things. You're better off to leave the Word of God out of the equation of your life. So without body life, without our brothers and sisters, we can fall into that same trap. It's interesting when you read this in light of what we know from Philippians chapter 2. You don't have to turn there, but it's one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. Because it starts off by talking about the, the necessity for unity in the body of Christ. How We've got to be together. We've got to stand together. We've got to love each other. We've got to encourage each other. We've got to consider others better than ourselves. If we're going to have this attitude, he goes on to describe, he says, let this attitude or this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what Jesus did is He humbled Himself to the point of death, even the death on the cross. 
but yet God exalted him. All that description about, hey, you've got to be unified, you've got to love each other, you've got to stand together, you've got to consider others better than yourself. If the church is going to press on and advance and get on what God has, you've got to have the attitude of Christ. Humble yourself, let Christ put you where he wants you and exalt you in due time. And then, after that, it says, do all things, in verse 14, without grumbling or complaining. And when I see that grumbling or complaining, I think about the children of Israel on their journey through the desert. Grumbling and complaining. And how did God have to deal with that? Many missed out on the blessings that were to come because of that. We've got to encourage one another, lift one another up. Then number three, he's telling them to hold on to something. Hold to confidence in God. Hold to confidence in God. Avoid delay. See, a lot of us realize that we're headed to something better, but when it comes to what God wants us to do now, we think, well, we can just kind of procrastinate and put that off. Christ is our companion in this journey. Look at what He says here. Verse 14, For we have become companions of the Messiah if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. That word reality there is the same word for substance we saw a minute ago. Christ is our companion. We take Jesus by the hand and we say, I don't know exactly what this journey involves, but if I'm walking with Jesus, it's going to be good. If I'm walking with Jesus, I'm going to reach my destination. We're going to be okay. So I just want to stay close and, and stay clean, stay right with Jesus. We take our companion by the hand and we hold to confidence in God, trusting Him to take us where He wants us to be. And in doing so, we avoid delay and missing out on it. So what are we trusting in? What are we holding to? Again, this word reality, it's the word for substance that we see in chapter 11 and verse 1. Faith is the reality, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's that relationship with Jesus Christ. See, here's the thing about the journey that becomes not just a destination to an end, but an end in itself. The journey is a walk with Jesus. It's taking Jesus by the hand and saying, I've got full confidence in Christ. I know in whom I have believed and that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. I'm walking with Jesus. My future is secure. And no matter what this world throws at me, this world is not my home and I'm going to be okay because I'm headed home. And along the way, those things that I see and experience and endure are because I'm walking with Jesus and His path took me down that road. I may love it at some times, I may not like it so much at other times, but I'm going to be okay because I'm with Jesus. The wonderful thing about heaven when we get there is not just all the glories we read at the end of the book of Revelation, but that it's in the presence and the fullness of Jesus. We'll see from stories in this journey from Egypt to the promised land that God called them many times to move forward by faith. They had to hold firmly to that faith. They had to hold to that confidence in God and trust Him. The majority repeatedly procrastinated. Hardened their hearts. Missed the blessings of God. Along the journey, and some even missed the destination itself. They suffered defeat. God wants you God wants me to journey with joy and victory. I believe that with all my heart. 
I believe that heaven is going to be so much better that we can't even compare. The best day in this world is, is nothing to be compared to heaven. But I think God also wants us to have a little heaven on earth because there's a part of that rest, that eternal rest, that is even in the here and now, a rest that is in the grace of a walk with Jesus. That we can lay our head on our pillow at night and know that all is well with my soul because of what Jesus is doing in my life. God wants you to journey with joy and victory. You're not home yet. He is with you. We can't procrastinate when God is speaking, when God's sending a message, when we're heeding the voice of God and we hear the Word of God and God says, this is the direction I'm calling you in. This is where we're walking to. We can't put it off. An incident from the American Revolution illustrates this well. Some of you may know the story. It's reported that Colonel Raw, hope I pronounced his name right, who was a commander of the British troops in Trenton, New Jersey, was playing cards when a courier brought an urgent message stating that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware River. Now, we, we often see that picture, General Washington crossing the Delaware. We don't see the picture of a British commander playing cards. Raw took the letter and he put it in his pocket. He didn't bother to read it because he had not finished the game. He had not played his hand. So he put the letter in his pocket and he finished his game of cards. Realizing the seriousness of the situation, he hurriedly read it. He read it. He, he tried to rally his men to meet the coming attack from General Washington and his troops. But procrastination, history tells us, was his undoing. He and his many men were killed, and the rest of the regiment were captured. One historian wrote it this way Only a few minutes' delay cost him his life his honor, and the liberty of his soldiers. Earth's history is strewn with the wrecks of half-finished plans and unexecuted resolutions. Tomorrow is the excuse of the lazy and the refuge of the incompetent. Pretty serious indictment. When God is calling us to heed His voice, He's saying, hold to confidence Avoid delay, as it is said. Verse 15, look back at the text. Today, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. If the Spirit of God is talking with you today, He's saying, let go of this sinful distraction in your life. Move away from this deception. Commit yourself to the body of Christ. Get after this call that I've got on your life. If God is speaking to you, for some of you, it may even be come to faith in Jesus Christ. Give your heart and life to Him today. The one who died for you and rose again is saying, I want to give you life and life more abundantly. Today, 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 if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts and miss out on what God has for you. Come with confidence in God and avoid that delay. You things that I've always enjoyed saying and reminding people, one is the best is yet to come. You've heard me say that a lot. I believe as a believer we should always live as the best is yet to come. But another phrase I've become quite fond of is enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. Don't put it off. Get in on what God has for you. Today, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Walk with the confidence. I want to close, I want to read the words of a hymn by James Rowe. Foes may betide me, 
Darkness may hide me. Christ is beside me. I shall reach home. Storms may affright me. Dear ones may slight me. Sin try to blight me. I shall reach home. Burdens may bend me. Grief oft times rend me. Strength will He lend me. I shall reach home. Heaven is nearing. Clouds disappearing. (laughs) Angels are cheering. I shall reach home. He will not grieve me, slight or deceive me. He will not leave me. I shall reach home. Would you bow your heads with me?